0: Thank you, guys. Uh, The Lord's here. Isn't it beautiful? I love Pastor Paul and Wendy and the whole team here, Bridget and Richard. And uh, I just love the way the Lord moves in your midst. And uh, I am privileged to have several of our friends, my friends from the refuge. Um, I'll start with my daughter here on the end. Oh, Amelia. And her bestie, Ava, and next to Ava, is our prayer pastor, Stephanie. And next to Stephanie is Summer. She's actually Ava's mom, one of the elders at our church. And then Pastor Melanie is here, Pastor Jay's wife. And uh, we've just had great expectation uh, concerning this event. Listen, I have to do something quick because I feel pretty distracted by it. Um, So I'm just going to go for it. I didn't think I was going to do this publicly, But I have been distracted by the bass player. What's your name? Nathan? I I don't have a lot of clarity, but I just kept hearing the Lord say over and over, I see him, I see him, I see him, I see him. Like he wants to minister to your heart in such a deep way. There is kindness in your eyes, um, but there's so much more than people see. Don't be afraid of that. Because he'll wound us to heal us. He'll get to those deep things that we feel like if people saw them, they would run. But you have a wealth to give away. Nathan? So, Lord, I thank you for the one to whom there's no guile. God, I thank you for Nathan. God, I thank you for the intercession that is on him. I pray that you would grow it, God. I pray that as he sits alone in a room on that base, that you would release your rhythms to him. And they would be released over the his his own house but also this house the gathering in this city in the name of Jesus amen bless you Nathan so this thing has been happening to me maybe the last three or four times that I've spoken that as I ask the Lord for his heart for that particular gathering uh, he'll just give me a series of pictures Uh, he gives me a bit of clarity but then there's more clarity that comes as I share it, so it's a little bit scary. Before we get into the message, I'm just going to share a couple of them. I was praying for you guys as I fell asleep last night. Uh, I did have a dream that I think was uh, pretty clearly a rebuke for me. (laughs) I was telling my friends about it, and they said, Oh, boy, you know when you have a dream where you're not dressed appropriately for a wedding, that's never good, and that was my dream. Uh, but even coming out of that dream, the gathering was on my heart. And I just kept seeing the movie Wizard of Oz, the, the one with Judy Garland in it. You know what I'm talking about? Is there anyone by chance that has seen that movie in the last month? No way. No, just ever in your life? You have. Anyone else that has seen it? Okay. That's, that's awesome. I felt like the Lord told me that that would be true. So as I closed my eyes again, I saw how the movie started. You know, there's a lot of intentionality in that movie. And I didn't know this before today when the Lord was showing me in the spirit. But you know, it starts in those sepia tones. And Dorothy just is really bored with her life there in Kansas. You guys know what I'm talking about? And she has this neighbor. I don't remember a ton about it, but she has that female neighbor that's awful. And she just wants out of this just dull life that she's in. Well, she ends up waking up in Oz. Uh, Every part of the movie would indicate that it was a dream, but they do a few things to make you wonder. But everything was in technicolor in Oz. She faced enemies that she never thought she would face. One was a guy behind a curtain making himself sound bigger and larger than he actually is. Does that remind you of anyone in the spiritual realm, come on church, but there were these witches, there were these different oppositions that she faced and where she thought she was reaching out of the dullness, she was just tired of being bored with her life, she ended up facing things that she wasn't so sure she was ready to face. If there is anyone here tonight that is in that state, in just a moment I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to pray for you. So that's the first one. As I continued to pray early this morning, the Lord brought me to a memory, a really sweet memory that my daughter and I like to recount. And when she was about three, this is the memory, but it was so clear this morning. If I was commenting on the beautiful day, I would say, wow, there's not a cloud in the sky. And her little three-year-old finger would always find one little thing in the sky and point and say, there's one. Well, as I had that replay in my mind this morning, the Lord brought me to First Kings 18. This is right after Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal. He had prophesied that the drought would end, that water was coming again, that there would be a rain. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, go and look out toward the sea. See, Elijah was convinced. The servant went and looked, then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Finally, the seventh time his servant told him, I saw a little cloud the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds, a heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. So this is what I heard. So what the indication of the lack of clouds would sometimes be celebrated by us in the beauty of the day, the Lord has also promised a, a rain on the harvest. And when we will surrender to the Lord, when we will fight like Elijah fought, against the enemy, he ha- this confidence will come. So some of you have been faltering in your confidence. See, Elijah kept sending his servant back because he knew the rain was coming. And when he finally saw a cloud the size of a man's hand, he said, that's enough. That's the first sign of it, and it's going to happen quickly. For those of you that have felt intense discouragement, You don't even want to keep looking to see if the sign of rain was coming. Where no clouds in the sky would indicate a happy, good day, you know that there's been a promise that rain would come, so it's actually discouraging for you to not see a cloud in the sky. The Lord says, look up, no matter how many times you need to go back, tuck your head between your knees, pray and cry out, and the the abundant sound of rain will come at the first sound, but you have to lift your eyes. For those two groups of people, I'm gonna start with the first and then I'm gonna pray over both. If you're here and you are in the situation like Dory, Dorothy, now there's a Dory picture. Let me see real quick. No. Anybody with short-term memory loss? Sorry. All right. The <laughs> bad joke. But anyway, if you are here and, and you have ended up where you never thought you would be, right? You were bored with your life. Now you're in the midst of things that are so complicated and you don't know how to get out, just like Dorothy didn't know how to get out, right? She had to click those shoes together. We're not going to do that tonight. But if that's you, you, this desire to get out of the mundane has brought you to where you never thought you would be and you need to get out. It's going to take boldness for you to stand, but I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to pray. And that's going to be broken off of you today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Today's the day. Thank you for your boldness. If you have been discouraged over a promise and you've stopped even looking for the sign, maybe you've been praying, but it's praying in anguish and you haven't had an expectation that God's gonna answer and you are gonna position yourself to lift your eyes to see a cloud even the size of a man's hand, that'll be all you need. If you've been in that place of discouragement and you are turning your face towards him, Tonight, for him to see and for your friends to see, I want you to join these already standing, and we're gonna pray. Amen. Thank you, Lord. All right, so this is what body ministry looks like. Lift your voices. This is all of us. It's what Pastor Paul was saying earlier. We've come here to give. The Lord's gonna transform and change things tonight. So, Father, I pray first of all for these that have entered, who have left their place of the mundane. And they have faced devils and difficulties that they never thought they were going to face. In the name of Jesus, I speak power to close the door to some things and to walk in the confidence that the Lord will bring you back to the simple thing. And it's just like what Zach's saying a moment ago. Nothing else. It's just you, Jesus. He's bringing you back to the simplicity. You just lay it at the altar. Let him show you how to close the door. And he's going to make all things new. I declare it over you in the name of Jesus. Now, for the ones that have been discouraged and have lost confidence, I pray in the name of Jesus for a new confidence. God calls them to lift up their eyes. Just like Elijah could keep sending that servant back saying, go back, there's going to be a sign of rain. And then it was barely anything, but it was the sign of the breakthrough. And then the next things happened quickly. I declare it over you men and women of God, keep your eyes lifted. He will give you even the smallest sign and the, and the posture of prayer will cause you to surrender with confident hope and expectation that he's coming. I speak it over the gathering. Even the smallest signs, he's coming. He's going to move. He's going to change everything. So Lord, kiss your people. Encourage them right now in the opening moments of this message. Do what only you can do in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. We're not even to the introduction yet, but when the Lord moves in this way, I am able to have a consolidated message. So believe in me, okay? Thank you. So in Isaiah 43, this is not our, the text we're going to look at tonight, but it was on my heart um, strong this afternoon, so I added it to the notes. In Isaiah 43, the Lord is wanting to speak to Israel. Israel. He's bringing correction. He's calling them out of their bondage. But in the midst of it, he reminds them, hey, I'm the God that led you out of the Red Sea, led you through the Red Sea. Not only did I part the waters and take you through on dry land, but I wiped out every enemy that was chasing after you. Remember that as I speak to you, as I call you out of your sin, as I call you out of your cycles, as I call you out of your pain, as I call you out of your disappointments, I need you to remember that I'm the God that parted the sea and brought you through on dry land and wiped out all of the enemies. Remember it? Now forget it because I'm doing a new thing. Verse 19, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. For the church that Jesus is returning for, first of all, our, our declaration needs to be nothing else matters, not just with our lips, but with our lives. Like, Lord, you matter more than anything. But secondly, we need to be able to tap into the wellspring of who he is, even in the midst of the wasteland. So he... where where we are desperate to come out of the wilderness. I'm telling you, I'm just going to announce it to the best of my ability with the way I heard it from the Lord. I don't think the season of wilderness is over for the body of Christ. I don't think the season of wilderness is over for the gathering. But I do believe with all of my heart that he's giving you streams in the desert, He's giving you water in the wastelands. And he's saying that what I did at the Red Sea is actually smaller than me breaking in in the midst of the desert. How many of you know in the midst of struggle and suffering, the water that we drink in that place is miraculous and it's only found in him. And he wants to bring you to that place. All right, now the text, Exodus 15 verses 20 through 27. And this is after the people of Israel have gone through on dry land, all of Pharaoh's armies are defeated. You know, it's a big deal when you're standing in front of a Red Sea and the Lord is calling you out to cross over, but there's this humongous obstacle in the way. So the Lord parts removes the obstacle, if you will, but as the obstacle is being moved, they can hear the, the hoof prints of the horses carrying the chariots of Pharaoh and their enemies. So it's one thing for the way to be open, but it's another thing for the enemy to be defeated, and they experience both. Verse 20, then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, And all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Okay, we're going to hit the pause button here just for a moment. Let that breathe for a moment. They've been brought through on dry land that all of the enemies pursuing them have been wiped out in a moment. And Miriam instructs the women, release the victorious shout, dance, hit the tambourine. The Lord is victorious. And in the midst of this worship meeting, we go to the next phrase. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness they, were, they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statue and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees, so they camped there by the waters." So these events that I just read to you, the, the struggle in the wilderness of the Israelites was immediately following the greatest miracle in the history of Israel, the parting of the Red Sea, the defeating of the enemies. We can still hear the sound of the, tambor, the tambourine uh, cl- clicking together, like that sound, the women still sweating from the dance of their triumph, And they're led into the wilderness. And by the way, this is by the design of God. This was before they were wandering because they were too scared to cross into the promise. This wasn't a punishment they were being given. But instead it was part of their preparation. And the Lord is looking for a people that will stand with him and say, If you say you're parting the sea, let's go. If you say you're going to defeat the enemies, let's go. And if you take me into the wilderness, we will embrace that part of your plan as well. Because there is something he is trying to establish deep within us that no one can take away. So he led them from the Red Sea into the wilderness. I'm just going to tell you that's better than you're sounding like it is. There's a true celebration. God came. He showed himself strong. And one verse later, they're in the wilderness. They're being tested like they've never been tested. Can anyone relate? The heat, the sun is beating down on them. And they encounter three realities in the wilderness that I believe the Lord wants to minister to us out of tonight. You know, the wilderness simply defined, I mean the wilderness that they were experiencing, the landscape of the wilderness, obviously it's metaphorical for you and I, but it's that place in our journey that is devoid of every external distraction. In other words, there's nothing pretty to look at, but it's also devoid of every comfort. The natural landscape of the wilderness in itself does not... Provide a backdrop for hope. Do you hear what I'm saying? There's nothing in the external, there's nothing we can touch that actually brings us hope. There's no real sources of water or shade, or at least they're few and far between, but it's all part of God's plan. He ordered their steps through the wilderness. If you aren't in a wilderness right now, thank God. Keep hitting that tambourine and dancing around. But as part of our preparation, we will all know the wilderness. The church at large, the church in America doesn't want to hear that message. But here's the reality. We need to know the way to receive the streams in the desert. He will sustain us. As a matter of fact, he will be so near that we would rather be there than anywhere else in the world. That's what God does. We can sing nothing else but you, but if we haven't tasted what that means, it will only be a poem on our lips. It's God's desire that we experience him in that way. He orders our steps in the wilderness. What's the first stop? Number one, it's the place of no water. Three days into the wilderness, no water. Their mouths are parched. They're worried, sick about their children. Three days. That's about the limit that a human can go without water, especially under the scorching heat. This is the place where our resources are stripped away. Come on, somebody. Is this not where we have had to walk as a people? But our resources are stripped away so that the resource of God is discovered. And we cannot find it in the place of comfort. The things that used to bring comfort, this is the place of no water. It's when the things that used to bring comfort don't bring you comfort anymore. Like that online therapy, retail therapy. Come on, ladies. I mean, it still helps a little, right? But it only can help for a moment or or maybe the things that you used to tell yourself to bring you comfort or the people you would run to, those relationships have dried up. That's the place of no water. You have found the place of no water. In 1 Samuel 17, when David delivers food to his brothers fighting Goliath, David's brothers accused him, right? You're full of pride. You're full of weakness. You're living in this desert only tending to a few sheep. They literally say, who have you left those few little sheep with in the wilderness? It was like they were saying, hey David, you haven't had the training we've had. You don't have the armor we've had. Can anyone relate to this? His brothers that are facing the Philistine Goliath are saying, no, you don't have the armor. You don't have the weaponry. Go back over where you have a few little sheep to tend to. But day after day, for 40 days, every time Goliath would open his mouth, David's brothers would run and hide. But still, they were the ones full full of pride. They're accusing David in his faithfulness of just being full of pride. But here's the thing. David had found something in the wilderness that his brothers hadn't found. You want to take off the head of Goliath, that defiance that tries to accuse you and take the real estate of your mind. You can only do it when you have learned the lessons in the wilderness, when you have found the place of no water. First Samuel 23 tells us that for David and his men to become mighty, they had to live in the wilderness where God was the only resource. David's mighty men, David himself, they were initially discontented and in distress. You can read it in 1 Samuel 23. But they came out and they were able to fight against the powers of darkness. Psalm 74 verse 14 tells us that the spoils of victory, literally the crushing of the head of Leviathan, will be given as food for those inhabiting the wilderness. There is a victory that comes to the people of God when they find the stream in the desert place. When there's been the lack in natural resources, it's been the place of no water, yet he gives a a victory over these principalities, crushing the head of Leviathan, becoming their food, In the wilderness. No wonder Jesus said in the wilderness, My food is to do the will of my Father. He had found a bread that sustains greater than anything in the natural. There's a victory that's given to those who don't despise the desert. Hear me, church. There is no water, so we dig deep to the wellspring within. They're in the place of no water and they're looking inward. They're finding an internal fortitude. They're, they're tapping into the presence and power of God. And as they're coming out of this place of no water, they see water in the distance. And this is the second reality that they encountered in the wilderness that we need to learn for, and that's learn from, and that's the place of Mara, the place of bitter water three days of no water. They see the provision of God and they go running to the place of water. But when they taste the water, the water's bitter. Have you ever come out of a place of victory and breakthrough? Listen, this happened in such a profound way in my life coming up on two years now where i I warred through the night like I never had in my life and breakthrough had started to come only to discover that that water, that breakthrough was bitter and the Lord wanted to turn the bitter water sweet. Have you ever been so exhausted pressing in for the breakthrough and then the cup you're given is bitter? It's part of the reality of the wilderness that we have to encounter They realized that what they thought was the end of their struggle, what they thought was over, they actually realized was going to be another fight. That the promise of being satisfied on the inside, there's actually been a bitterness that's entered that now they have to deal with. Nothing's more challenging than when we think the battle is over and it gets worse. Can anyone relate tonight? The enemy's plan is for us to do more than just taste the water. He wants us to drink it. He wants us to take in that bitterness rather than let the Lord turn the bitter water sweet. Some of you have a bitter cup that you have been, it, uh, that like in this place of breakthrough, you've had this cup and the water's been so bitter and you have felt ungrateful and you don't know what to do and you're starting to drink those waters and the bitterness is getting inside of you. And I want you to hear me tonight. That was never God's plan. It was never God's plan for the people of Israel to drink these bitter waters. It's never been the plan for you to drink the bitter waters. What's bitter water? I'm just going to read to you a few things I wrote down. When the things you have been believing for fall through, that's bitter water. When those who you work to serve and love believe the worst about you, that's bitter water. When breakthrough continues to delay and all you can see is what you've lost, that's bitter water. Broken promises, betrayal in marriage, accusation from your family, that's bitter water. And if the enemy can get us to drink that cup, Like at least I feel in control of something. At least I'm interacting with any kind of water. And the reality is that's not God's plan. The enemy is trying to get us to drink the the bitter cup. And if we do, the bitterness will get in us. Bitterness is when you stop looking forward to what's ahead and you only measure the difficulty of what you've come through. Bitterness is the sound of complaint replacing the sound of praise. Bitterness is when you can only process through the lens of criticism, and that lens, by the way, affects your perception of everything. Bitterness boasts the reality that perception is reality. Bitterness looks to bring blame. Bitterness is what, when you can only look at what has happened to you and compare it against the blessing of another. Remember when Naomi had lost her husband and both her sons, and as she's leaving Moab, where all this pain happened, and she's entering back into her homeland, she says to the people there, Don't call me Naomi. Naomi means beautiful. Don't call me beautiful. Call me Mara, for the Lord has made me bitter. Here's the reality the Lord hasn't made any of us bitter. It's when we drink the cup that is before us. The water is bitter and the enemy wants the people of Israel to drink. And they're deeply considering it. But Moses cries out. Remember Elijah crying out for the rain to come? Now Moses is crying out, And when he cries out, you can go back and read what I just read over us at the beginning. God showed them a tree. This is what I love about this. They didn't see the tree before. Son of the desert beating down on them, but they didn't see the provision for shade. They didn't see the tree. And because they didn't see the tree and all they tasted was the bitter water, the people complained. But I want you to hear me tonight. The people complained and Moses cried out. Will you complain or will you cry out? Because when Moses cried out, God showed him a tree. And here's the reality. God had planted a tree, not in that moment. He planted a tree many years before. And I want you to hear me, sons and daughters, He planted the tree right next to the bitter waters. He made provision even in the midst of the wilderness. He was giving them shade, but he was also giving them the means by which the bitter water would be turned sweet. He said, take the tree, put it in the water. Only the tree could turn the bitter water sweet. Hear me tonight. Only the tree can make your bitter cup sweet. What do I mean? Well, the tree is a prophetic picture of which our redemption would be purchased. The tree is the cross. Right there by the bitter waters is the cross. Before they could drink one sip of bitter water, the tree was already planted. Before your prodigal chose their path, the tool of their deliverance was already planted. Before your parents surrounded you with their cycles, he already planted a tree. Before you head home tonight and face whatever you're going to face there, the tree has been planted. The date of your deliverance, of your breakthrough, of of your healing has already been planted. Don't consume the bitter water. Look at the tree. Let it turn the bitter water sweet. Because God said, If you follow me and obey me, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. We don't know what specific diseases the Egyptians suffered, they're not recorded. But their inner diseases are definitely recorded, the hardening of their hearts. The jealousy, the bitterness, the comparison, the self-promotion, the anger, the revenge. They lived with all of that. There was this inner disease. And God wasn't just promising to keep them from the diseases of the flesh, but he was saying, I will touch the diseases of the spirit. He says, I am the Lord who heals you. Maybe you've already drunk the bitter waters. I'm not sure. But he will heal you from the inside out. The ladies that are with me have heard me talk about my Nani, my Italian Catholic grandmother. I love to talk about Nani. I loved Nani with all my heart. I have an Italian Catholic mother. She's not Catholic anymore. She is Holy Ghost born again and a Jewish father. So I joke that I was born confused and angry. But my Nani was the Italian Catholic side and she was a trip. It's really kind of wrong how much I enjoyed her ways. Um, I love to talk about the fact that if she disagreed with the meat prices in the grocery store, she would take the price of the less expensive meat and put it on the more expensive meat and then buy that meat. And that was her way of justifying it like this is the price it should be. I feel sorry for the person that bought the small meat for the larger amount of money. But uh, this is just to give you a window into... In Tanani, this is, I'll joke with some of the ladies that I'm friends with. I'm like, yeah, this is, my inher- this is my heritage. I spent my whole life, really, from as long as I can remember, eating off of silverware that had an F engraved on the handle of the silverware. Well, my married name is Fur, but my uh, maiden name did not begin with an F. When I was about 11, I finally asked my mom, I mean, we had like a setting for 12, really nice silverware. Mom, why do we have an F on our silverware? And come to think of it, so do Nani and Pop Pop. My mom said, well, honey, they spent about 10 days at the Frontier Hotel in San Francisco. And because of the prices of the food there that were ridiculous and unjustifiable, they brought a place setting home after every meal. And now we have a setting for 12, Right. They were hilarious and terrible all at once. But I remember like just the power on my grandmother. And there was just this bond that we had that was beautiful. But the Lord wanted to address the part of it in me that wasn't beautiful. Because my grandmother was like she, she would love hard and long. But when she was done with someone, she was done. And we all knew it. And it didn't have to be someone they knew well. It could be a game show host. Like, that's a real thing. One time Pat Sajak, and then, I mean, and my grandmother's been gone a long time, I, and Pat Sajak is still at it, you know, with Wheel of Fortune, he and Vanna White. They have to be like 165 years old each, but they're still doing it. And one time Pat Sajak was, uh, I guess, too passive. There was someone that spun the wheel, and they had a lot of money in their bank, and they hit the bankrupt thing, and they even had a free spin in their kitty. And you know, you lose the free spin too. Does anyone, has anyone ever watched Wheel of Fortune? So Pat Sajak takes, the free, Sajak takes the free spin and just flips it to the side. My grandparents were done with him for the rest of time. We're never watching Wheel of Fortune again. It's not going to happen. Well, when I was pregnant with my daughter, I'm not going to go into all the details of this. Once she was born, I ended up with a uterine infection. I was very sick. My brother had had a dream... Uh, A night or two before this happened, before I went back in the hospital, had a raging fever, uh, just was incredibly, incredibly sick. She was about four days old. And my brother came over and shared with me a dream that had to do with a connection between my grandmother and me. And he said, I'm not accusing you of anything, but there is some bitterness that you have to let go. And I did that right in the middle of my living room right before I went to the hospital. The Lord did choose medicine to heal me, but there were haunting things. There were haunting dreams that I would have with my grandmother that I hadn't told anyone. So when he was talking about our connection, where she was trying to call me, even though I knew she was in the grave and I would try to call her back, like these tormenting dreams. But when, after he stood and said, you need to let go of the bitterness, you have this connection with Nani, and you're, the way you carry the bitterness may not look like her, but it's time for you to put it down. And I did as sick as a dog. I got on my knees in my living room, and I repented, and I never had those tormenting dreams again. What he does when we say, Lord, I'm giving you the bitter cup, and I'm going to let the tree turn the bitter water sweet, it changes everything, and he heals us from the inside out. This is how we navigate the wilderness. We go to the place of no water and we press in, we lean in, we worship when we don't feel like it, we pray, we cry out, we surround ourselves with life and we find that wellspring on the inside of us. That's the gift of the wilderness that we can find a well on the inside. Then the gift of the wilderness is the bitter cup that's before us and we can justify everything that has made those waters bitter. Can anybody relate to what I'm saying tonight? The ridicule, the accusation, the things people said behind your back, the betrayal, the, uh, the betrayal that has affected your finances, all of the things that we go through that makes the water bitter. And he's saying there's only one thing that'll turn that bitter water sweet, and that's the tree that has been there all along. Rather than looking at what's made you bitter, hear me, church, look at the tree. His redemption... When we were infinitely beyond, we were beyond our infinite debt and our ability to make peace with God. He suffered and died for you and I and through the span of all generations in time you were on his mind and he knew every time you would deny him he knew every time that you would choose your own will instead of his and in the midst of it he still bled and died and was able to say father forgive them they don't know what they're doing that substance of the cross is what touches our bitter waters and he makes it sweet and he wants to heal you from the inside out you don't have to have the disease of the Egyptians those that we want to hold in bondage because they did us so wrong that's the disease of the Egyptian it's the bitter waters and he wants to make the bitter cup sweet for you as you encounter the cross again tonight then the third place is the place of Elam it's the place of many waters then they came to Elam where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. Think about this. They started with no water. Then they moved to a place of bitter water with one tree. And then he moved them to the place with 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. Listen, right in the wilderness. He was asking them, if they would surrender to his leadership, he was taking them to the place where there would be 12 times more provision and 70 times more more shade if they would refuse the disease of the Egyptians. And he's here tonight saying, will you follow me wherever I'll lead? Musicians, why don't you go ahead and Come. There is a depth in God that is available for all of us, but we have to get over ourselves. Listen, I say it with complete love towards you tonight. I have had the greatest. Probably crisis of belief and shaking of my life in the last two years. But he has taken that bitter water and he has made it sweet. And I can't even describe to you how very sweet it is. What we do is we try to keep those things on the inside. And we don't want people to know the ugly that's going on inside of us. And the reality is he's not looking for you to pretend the water's not bitter. Do you hear me? He wants to give you what it takes to turn the bitter water sweet. For those of you that are in the the place of no water and you are worried sick about your kids, what will come of them, the Lord wants you to, to encounter him in such a way that you know what it means to find that wellspring on the inside. All of us have it. Some of you haven't tapped into it. So Father, I thank you. Why don't you all stand, actually? Thank you, Lord. Actually, can you take that and then help me down? Because it would be really humiliating if I fell. Here, Paul. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I couldn't see you. All I could see is those lights. So, Come on, just lean into him for a moment. I love the silence. That we stood and sat and kneeled in a moment ago. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. All right, so here's the call. If you have been despising the wilderness because of the no water, the lack of water, because of the bitter water, and you haven't found that place of Elam, and you need an encounter with God, I'm just going to ask you without a hesitation to just come up here with me. And the Lord wants to meet you. Listen, don't do it for me or because you feel... Like, my ego needs you to respond. But if you know you've despised the wilderness and the Lord is calling you to repent, I'm just going to ask you to come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. He wants to touch you. He wants to minister to you. Thank you, Lord. You know, Pastor Paul said during worship that we don't come, we shouldn't come. If we want revival, we shouldn't come to receive. But we come to give back to God. Listen, this is the beautiful exchange that he loves. When we take our bitterness, our disappointment, our struggle, our pain, our, our criticism, our comparison, our insecurities, Just our sin, our compromise. Come on, you know you've got the diseases of the Egyptians inside of you, and you want the Lord to heal you. Join these. He wants to touch it, He wants to make you new. Thank you, Lord. And this is the exchange He loves when we say, Okay, God, I don't want it anymore. I don't want to despise the lack of water. I don't want to despise the bitter cup that I've been given and maybe you're standing here tonight and you're thinking you have no idea what I've walked through. You're right I don't but I know that the ugly on the inside of me that he's taken away. We hold it on. We hold on to it because we think it's empowering, but it's actually causing our lives to be ebbed away. We're we're th- actually the opposite of what we ever thought we would be. And you think you're too far gone, or there's too much judgment towards you. And the reality is, He loves, loves, loves to take the burden of our sins or of our wrong thinking and take on his peace and his strength. Come on, the theme of this is wide open. Let's be wide open. Let's open up our hearts and let the healer set us free. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Repent that times of refreshing may come. He's preparing a bride that will be able to walk through every obstacle like the Red Sea and hear the sound of the chariots of our enemies be defeated in our eyeshot and earshot and then be led directly into the wilderness and still be able to say, your ways are right, great God. Come on, those are the wedding vows of the bride. We trust your way. You give us streams in the desert. Really? There's no water. How's that a stream? And now there's bitter water. How's that a stream? And as we choose him, then he brings us to Elam. More wells of water than we need. More shade. Under those palms, those places where prophecies would happen under the judge of Deborah. Oh, he brings us to the place of shade. He brings us to the place of strength. We love to receive a word of wisdom and knowledge and to be encouraged. Those are the shade trees he wants to bring you to. I have a suspicion that Nathan has known the, the, no, the place of no water, the place of bitter water, and the Lord was giving him some shade tonight. Lord, we trust you. We love your leadership. Come on, we're going to worship. I think there's a team of people that uh, are set aside to pray. So if that's you, you're part of the gathering and you're part of that team. If you could come, those that have come with me, if you're willing to come, and let's just see God work.